This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Basically, I'm your host Stephanie Preisner and today I have an absolutely fascinating guest. Dr. Omar, thank you so much for joining me in studio today. You're very welcome. Uh, I'm a little bit nervous because I know so little about Islam and that faith that I'm afraid of being like ignorant or asking the wrong questions. So I hope that you'll forgive me as I sort of seek some information from you. Uh, well, it's perfectly fine. There is nothing to ask forgiveness for. We all learn. Um, there are so much things in the world I don't know. And I'm always happy to learn. And it's great that you're doing a series for people at home uh, that can listen to it and know about a faith of, uh, you know, almost two billion people on Earth. Yeah. And that's why, because it's so in Ireland, we're so still very Catholic and raised in the faith that we all of our references, even like people who aren't devout or aren't mm-hmm. religious, they, it's still something that we assume. And so I'm really interested to to, to broaden my horizons a little bit. So are, are you, th- so in Catholicism we have like priests. Mm-hmm. Are, are you the Islamic version of that or does it work differently? Not really. Uh, in Islam, basically what we have is we have first uh, at least someone that is an imam. An imam is someone that leads the prayer, uh, whether at home or whether uh, in, in the mosque. And anybody from the community can be an imam. Uh, you do not have to have some theological academic, uh, you know, um, achievements uh, to be an imam. Anybody that knows a bit of the Quran, that knows the rulings of the prayer uh, can be the imam. Uh, and you will find in many mosques in Ireland and throughout the world, uh, people that uh, wouldn't necessarily have had theological uh, studies, um, uh, you know, and still they are appointed as imams. Then you have someone that is known as a sheikh or a sheikha, in the, you know, if, if it's a female. Uh, the sheikh or the sheikha are, are those individuals that have actually formally had their, um, uh, their religious studies uh, in a seminary uh, for six or seven years. And they are able to now give also religious opinions and views. Uh, so some mosques would have uh, a sheikh, uh, as some mosques would just have an imam. So that's okay. the kind of difference. But everyone's, um, uh, you know, ger- everyone's connection with God in Islam is unique and is um, it's it's different. You do not need an imam to approach God. You do not need a sheikh to approach God. You can directly approach God in supplications and in prayers. Okay. So is the imam then? Is that someone who might just be appointed on the day or is that someone that's their role all of the time or is it just something that someone undertakes just for that prayer? Uh, it can be uh, someone that is just appointed at, at that particular moment. Okay. Um, but in most cases, like in mosques, you would have someone that actually is appointed for that role to lead the prayers throughout the day or throughout the months. Okay. And then when it comes to prayer, how, what is the sort of daily weekly and then rituals around prayer that you have that are different to ours? I think before I go go to that, it would be really interesting for people to find out about the similarities between Christianity and Islam. Yes, go for it. Now, Islam is obviously, as I said, the religion of almost two billion people on earth. Um, And Islam is a very, uh, you know, 
you could say diverse religion because you'll find all nationalities um, in in it. It's not that there's only white people or Asian people or African mm-hmm. or Arabs that are Muslim. In fact, you have Muslims in all parts of the world. Um, and uh, the, the Muslim faith is an, is it's a global uh, religion. It's a global faith, and it's also an Abrahamic faith, uh, which what means mean? which means that uh, the historical figure Abraham, which is Prophet Ibrahim in in Islam, is someone that. We we all believe in and Abraham is an historical figure that also is important significant in the Jewish religion as well as in the Christian religion so Islam is an Abrahamic faith and uh, it's it is very similar in terms of beliefs with with the other Abrahamic faiths with Christianity and Judaism particularly with Christianity and the reason is because we believe first and foremost in God the concept of God uh, that there is a creator out there um, the other thing is that we believe in prophets. We believe that God had sent prophets. Uh, he had appointed humans, uh, certain individuals in communities to be uh, the messengers, uh, to tell people what God wants them, how God wants them to live mm-hmm. uh, on earth. Uh, we believe in the life after death, the, the concept of the hereafter. Um, as with Christianity, we believe in uh, divine books. We believe that the Bible was a book of God. We believe that the Torah was a book of God, but also believe that at the same time, the Quran was the final word of God uh, revealed to the Prophet Muhammad. Uh, and uh, as Muslims, we in fact uh, have something that is very unique between Islam and Christianity. We believe in uh, the miraculous birth of Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ uh, is a very historical, but also a very central figure in Islam. Um, the mother of Jesus, Mary, there is a whole chapter in the Quran dedicated to her. In fact, she's the only lady. Uh, the Quran has is, doesn't have any other woman uh, whose name is that you know dedicated for a whole chapter of the Quran. Okay. So a whole chapter of the Quran is actually uh, given the title Maryam in Arabic, which is Mary. Um, so we believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the second coming of Christ also. So uh, the, the the miracles of Jesus, which are known uh, among Christians, uh, we believe in the same miracles that yes. Jesus had the powers to heal, uh, the, mir- the miracles of Jesus. He could bring the dead back to life. Um, so th- all of these kind of beliefs are similar. And are they told in the same stories of like of Lazarus and the Immaculate Conception or are those do the details sort of the, the details may a little bit okay. differ, uh, differ absolutely but the, ki- the kind of concept that, that he was a unique, unique person yeah. now the only thing kind of I think that is important for the listeners to know is that as Muslims we do not worship anyone except God so we wouldn't worship any prophet or any other historical person any person we would only worship God and we would not attribute divinity to any other uh, than God himself so the way we worship saints and we wouldn't do that no yes, we okay. honor and we obviously have a lot of reverence and respect for saints, uh, for for uh, the prophets, but we would not worship them. So when we say like prayers to Saint Anthony, you don't pray to other. No, we don't. We pray God. to God okay. directly. Okay, that's interesting to know as a as a, like as a separation. Cool. So, so those are the ways in which they're similar, and the the detail of it. I'm often fascinated as to like how someone chooses because it just seems to me that I was raised Catholic and therefore I identify as Catholic in the same way that I was raised in Cork and so when Cork are playing in a GAA mm-hmm. match I support them <laughs> but for no other reason than just that's what I do. Yes. And so I'm always fascinated by people who 
take the time to study various religions and then choose which ones they align to or which ones their beliefs or tenets sort of represent the world that they want to live in the most. And so in order to do that, I guess you have to sort of understand the religions and and their, their fundamental baselines. So what do you believe that Islam is sort of in those terms? Mm -hmm. I think, uh, you know, firstly, let me just share with you that I meet on a weekly basis uh, many individuals uh, in Ireland that have gone through the journey of, you know, trying to find out which which religion, which way of life which makes the most sense to them. And many of them then, you know, come to the Islamic Center and contact us and say, you know what, we want to convert to Islam. Um, so I, I meet many of those uh, people. And often, you know, when I, what I find is that uh, what makes them come to Islam is the fact that they see Islam not just as a religion of spirituality, mm-hmm. a religion that, like Christianity, emphasizes on spirituality, but also on the life here. You know, one of the prayers of, of the, the, yeah. the real, you know, the life on earth. One of the prayers of the Prophet Muhammad, which is kind of very important and highlights the fact that uh, this life is is very important. To be successful in this life is also something that we must uh, try to become. Uh, the, the prayer is, oh God, grant me goodness in this life and grant me goodness in the hereafter. Mm-hmm. Um, as a Muslim, like the Prophet Muhammad was asked once, what is a Muslim? How do you define a Muslim? He never responded by saying, oh, Muslim is the one who believes in these these articles of faith. He never mentioned them. He, he said the Muslim is the one who is a source of peace in the society, someone who contributes in the society, someone that makes uh, the life for others, you know, uh, easy, someone that is there to provide solutions um, and someone that doesn't harm uh, the society. That's what a Muslim is. So uh, there is a lot of emphasis in our faith on um, serving the society. Uh, one of the greatest jihad. Now, I know jihad is always used in a very uh, you know, negative context, mm-hmm. but the meaning of jihad itself means positive contribution. Wow. And um, the Prophet Muhammad said that the person that is engaged in jihad, in any co- p- positive contribution in the society, whether that is a doctor who is working and you know uh, treating his patients, whether it's a teacher that is teaching uh, uh, pupils in the school or in college, all these people are engaged in jihad. Any individual that leaves the home for the purpose of feeding the family, um, and and during that whole kind of, you know, uh, eight hours or nine hours shift at work, the Prophet Muhammad has said that a person will be continuously in the worship of God. So you do not necessarily have to uh, mention or utter God's name, but if you are actually contributing in the society, uh, you are providing for your family and you may work at your work at your workplace. Even at that moment, you actually are God. exactly you're actively engaged in worship of God. And the Prophet Muhammad also said that the person who, while he is performing these duties, happens to pass away. That person is a martyr. That is a real person that is a martyr. So you don't have, I mean, we obviously hear, unfortunately, these, uh, you know, uh, all these kind of definitions, we hear them in a very negative context. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, and this is how Muslims, when they hear the word jihad, it means something very noble to them. Uh, As I said, a doctor who works in a hospital feels that that person, he himself is, or she herself, is engaged in jihad. So these words like jihad and martyr have been, like, taken... And, and and radicalized in a way that now Westerners are, don't only understand them in their most negative context and actually totally 
disconnected from what they are meant to mean which that's, is that's very true and yes absolutely one of the reasons why most of the muslims particularly you know became very appalled a couple of years during isis for example or the atrocities that we heard about from them was because they were using very noble tight very noble words to justify their you know uh, barbarous attacks mm-hmm. um, and actions uh, they were using the words like slogans like allahu akbar which really means god is the greatest and it's a very noble as muslims we often say that uh, when we when we see someone happy when we see that someone has actually achieved something great in life we say these words uh, to, to to praise God, but also to express our solidarity. Um, but those kind of words were used in a very negative way. And that was also something that was very problematic and appalling for many of us. Oh, sorry, to go back to when you said that there was Imam or Sheikh. Mm-hmm. Sheikh. Yes. Um, are you either of those two things? Are you both? Uh, I'm both, yes. Both. I, so I am a Sheikh um, and I'm also an Imam. And at what point in your like in your life did you s- decide actually a, like a religious I'm d- going to dedicate my life to religion? My journey is Stephanie is kind of interesting because um, I grew up in the Netherlands, as mm-hmm. I said, and um, at the age of 11, I happened to memorize the whole Quran by heart. So the whole book. How long did that take? Two years, approximately. I was going I, to school at the same time. I watched a movie once that <laughs> there was a man in prison and okay. he was allowed to come out of prison if he was able to learn the Quran. Okay. Yeah, anyway, I don't, don't think if that's factually correct, <laughs> but I just remembered now that you say it. So you okay. learned the whole Quran. So, so I did, yes, absolutely. No, I wasn't in a prison. I was at home <laughs> with my parents. and um, But it was something that was kind of uh, interesting. Um, and once I had memorized the whole Quran, there was a big party, you know, uh, a lot of... Uh, I was at that time the, f- the the youngest person in West Europe to have memorized the Quran. And my father, being a sheikh, also had many friends in the UK and France and Holland uh, that actually had come down for the party uh, when once I had completed this. It was a big achievement. And is now, this an achievement that people try t- that people seek to do? That often people. A lot of parents would have this desire and wish for their child to become a hafiz, so someone who knows the whole Quran by heart. What was the word? The hafiz. Okay. H-A-F-I-Z, that's the word. So a lot of people want their child to become or themselves to be be a hafiz, but of course, um, it's it's a very challenging thing. So uh, once I became a hafiz, I had a Hindu friend whose father happened to be a religious Hindu leader, a pundit. And I had a chat with him, and during this discussion, uh, I told him I'm a Hafiz, you know, very proudly and, you know, thinking that he would be very impressed. And he then asked me something that really, you know, struck with me. And he said, well, you know the whole Quran by heart, but do you know what it means? And I, at that time, thought to myself, that's so true. I don't know what it means. I spent two years of my life learning uh, the Quran by heart, but I don't really know what, what, what it says. These are the words of God, and I need to find out what it is. That basically uh, started this desire in me to, to, to seek further you know, knowledge. And I then traveled to Pakistan um, later on in life, and I traveled there to, to, to pursue my religious studies. I completed my studies there. While I was studying, I studied also Christianity, Hinduism, Sikhism, Buddhism, um, and then, of course, you know, Islam. And after my studies, um, I, I, be, I think kind of discovered my faith, really, you know, mm-hmm. during my studies. And I found that a lot of things that uh, we find prevalent in Muslim societies do not necessarily um, comply with the teachings of Islam. Uh, for example, in Islam, uh, Islam 1400 years ago gave women the right to vote. Uh, Islam 1400 years ago gave women the right to acquire property uh, and to, to, to uh, seek knowledge is something that is an obligation for all Muslim men and women. 
But I found in Muslim societies, uh, as we all know, certain societies, they the women do, aren't given the equal role in the society as they're supposed to be. Uh, while Islam, 1400 years ago, gave women the right to acquire property in their own name. So, so I found this contrast yeah. between the you know the the, the theory, but all, and between the practical uh, you know uh, life in societies. And why why has that happened? I think um, when you look at the history of of you know the world, uh, we find that there have been uh, times where where women have had a very you know positive and equal role in the society, um, and we we see that that still continues. Like for example, the country where my parents are from, Pakistan, happens to have a prime minister. Uh, twice that was a lady uh, we have had uh, other countries like Turkey like Malaysia uh, women are given um, a, you know the right that they that, that they deserve you know there are women rights uh, but there are societies that happen to be Muslim also which do not have that and I think it's partly cultural also yeah. and I also think it's also partly um, the influence of colonialism because when you look at uh, prior to the invasions of these societies. Um, the, these societies were very tolerant, very inclusive, um, and women had a very positive role. But I think colonialism really changed that also. And it kind of, even like in Pakistan, for example, where, where prior to colonialism, you'd had uh, women also studying in seminaries and other kind of education, uh, secular education. But pri- but after the colonialism, after the British Empire and the rule, you found that then suddenly women were kind of confined to just, you know, staying at home. And men were the ones that were outside, uh, mostly participating in battles, uh, etc. So I think a lot of things have contributed to it, uh, but the things are changing now um, in societies. As we all know, uh, we 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 have very positive experiences in the world, but also negative. And I think we need to emphasize on the positive Definitely. and spread the positive. Like many people don't know that in the Islamic centers or mosques, women have a, a very influential role. They're part of the management. They're part of the board, senior board that decide this about you know how the Islamic Center is going to be run. Uh, we recently had Eden Croke Park uh, defo- twice in a row. So last year we spent during the lockdown. Uh, the mosques have obviously um, a restriction in terms of how many worshippers can uh, can can attend the service. So we had our Eden Croke Park last last year and also this year. And in both these uh, uh, prayers, you could see women participated equally with men in, in everything. And I, I, the only person, man, that was actually speaking there from the Muslim was, was myself. And then we had so many ladies. They were presenting the Quran. They were, uh, you know, presenting uh, the program. They were providing the translations of the Quran and all different things. So they were engaged actively. Far more so than they would be in a Catholic faith where it's, you know, there aren't that many women or positions for women. And you were saying that you were dad. I so, am indeed. So, so, but but your father was also so like you're obviously allowed to get married, have a yes, family. Yes. While we in Islam do not have a, a concept of celibacy, uh, Islam, as I said, is a, is a very natural religion. It believes in uh, that you could be, uh, you know, you don't have to go into the caves and the jungles to connect with God. You don't mm-hmm. have to disengage with, uh, you know, with, with the society. Um, we can live, um, you know, in among the world, in the world, um, and all the temptations of the world. Um, Our approach to, for example, sex 
is completely different than the approach of Christianity. We are, you could say, more sex positive. Mm-hmm. Uh, sex is not something to be, uh, you know, uh, kind of, you know, it's not a taboo in that sense. Um, in fact, uh, f- for a person to be connected with God, there is no such thing that he should now abstain from uh, this physical intimacy. In fact, you could um, be married and you could have family. Um, you could be a very wealthy person. Um, but at the same time, you could be very much connected with God. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we don't have that concept of celibacy or, you know, just um, isolating yourself from the society. Uh, so as I said, I am a father. My dad, obviously, um, he had a family. Uh, so we are allowed to marry. Um, there is no such thing that for you to become holy or for you to become connected with God, you have to give up something in this world. There is no such thing. I'm going to take a break for a second to tell you about a new podcast that has come to the network that I really enjoy and I'm sharing it with you because I think you'll also enjoy it. It's called Fad Camp, F-A-D. And it is about fad diets, something I'm really interested in, the toxic nature of them, how they have sort of crept into the zeitgeist and crept into all of our minds and sort of changed our opinion of what's healthy and what's not healthy in a way that before fad diets, we seem to be very clear and things seem to be much more simple. So if you like that kind of thing, check it out, give it a listen. And if you like it, subscribe to it. Thank you so much. Fad Camp is a comedy podcast about the ridiculousness of fad diets and diet culture, hosted by me, Grace Mulvey. And me, Connor Dowling. If you have a body of any kind, chances are you've crossed paths with at least one of the bizarre diet trends we cover in our show. And between me and Connor, we have done nearly every fad diet there is. Juice cleansing. Fasting. The potato diet. Which is actually a real diet, by the way, and we don't recommend it. So join us as we try to make sense of the madness that is diet culture. Find Fad Camp everywhere you get your podcast and make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Fagcam Podcast. Just a quick interlude in the podcast while I have your attention. I want to tell you about uh, Headstuff Plus. I know some of you already know about it because some of you legends already subscribe to it. But if you're enjoying this podcast and you might want more of the same, you can become a Headstuff Podcast member. It costs five euro a month. You can give more if you want to, but that's all it costs. And for that, you get bonus material. So you get extra podcasts each month, not just from my podcast, but you get extra podcasts from all of the shows that are on our network. And there are loads of shows on our network. And you also, we're going to be doing some live shows. You'll get access to tickets. Um, I also do these Zoom things where I'll send out a link to the bonus material members, the people who subscribe to the podcast. And then we can do a Zoom together where we chat And it's just a really nice community and on a fundamental level, it supports my podcast financially so that me, the producer, the people involved in keeping this going can actually keep it going and keep giving you the content that you really, really like. If you can't afford it, there are other ways to support the podcast. If five euro a month is too much, you can just share it on your stories. Tell a friend about it. That's actually the best way. If you tell one person about a podcast episode that you think they will like, then they're very likely to listen to it. That increases our numbers and that really helps us. Um, also, commenting on iTunes, like leaving a review and giving it five stars or four, whatever you think is fair, that really, really helps. So sorry to interrupt the episode, but I would really appreciate your support, financial or otherwise, if you're enjoying the podcast. Thanks. And you just mentioned Eid there. Will you tell uh, the listeners about uh, Ramadan and Eid and how how that works? So we have two Eid celebrations. Eid uh, basically means the day of joy, the day of uh, happiness. And these are days that are pretty much like what Christmas is to Christianity. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, days or 
uh, you could say, uh, a period of time where people spend time with the family. Uh, there are celebrations, children get their toys um, and they get a lot of sweets and all that. So so all of that is connected with the Eid. Now, the Eid, unlike Christmas, Christmas always takes place on 25th of December. But Eid's, uh, Eid, the day of Eid is, is determined by the lunar calendar, So which means it changes every year. Uh, now, one of the Eids, the first Eid, is known as Eid al-Fitr. Eid al-Fitr is to mark the ending of the month of Ramadan. Uh, Muslims every year will fast for a whole month from sunrise, from dawn uh, till sunset, uh, not eat anything. Which is really hard in Ireland because our days can be oh, so long. long. <laughs> Especially in the summer, they can be very, very long. Um, and we don't drink water either. Um, so it means no drink, no food, a real fast, dry fast. Um, uh, but, you know, uh, to be honest with you, you get used to it. Um, I know um, the, the days are very long, but Irish weather really helps. Okay, right. <laughs> Irish, weather would he- uh, Irish weather would help. Um, and then um, after Ramadan, there is this celebration to mark the ending of Ramadan. That is known as the Eid al-Fitr. And then we have another Eid that we recently celebrated in Croke Park. And that particular Eid is the Eid that is to commemorate the sacrifice of Abraham. Okay, which is very similar into the story to the stories of uh, the Abrahamic sacrifice in the Bible as well in the Torah, uh, and uh, that particular uh, celebration is also like the Eid al-Fitr, a day of celebration, a day of you know uh, that you spend time with your family, um, and 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 these are two important days during the calendar, Islamic calendar. So, but is there only one Ramadan? One. There's only one month so that, of Ramadan. So yes. the second Eid is just is one day but there's no month of fasting leading up to it no there is no month of fasting leading to it but however there is another pillar of Islam that leads to it and that is the Hajj that's the pilgrimage now in the meantime while uh, we will be having our Eid uh, just prior to that um, Muslims from around the world um, some people fortunate people will be the ones that will be able to go and perform the pilgrimage in Mecca Um, and those people that aren't able to do so they will be at their homes, but they will still be able to celebrate Eid. Okay, and what's I, I watched a documentary once, but would you tell the listeners about Hajj? The Hajj is a pilgrimage uh, where Muslims, every Muslim has to try. Now, of course, if they're physically and if they're financially able to, uh, embark onto the journey of the, the Hajj, the pilgrimage. They, it's an obligation. Uh, every adult and every phys- uh, person that is able to do so financially, physically has to. So you go to Mecca. So s- even if you're in Ireland? Oh, yes. Even okay. if you're in Ireland, any part of the world and you travel to uh, to, to Saudi Arabia, modern day Saudi Arabia and you go to the Holy Land and you spend a few days there and you basically imitate Abraham. You live like as Abraham. You even wear the clothes that Abraham would wear. Very simple, two sheets, white sheets for men. Um, and the women can wear anything they want. Um, but men have to specifically wear a particular dress code. And they spend uh, those five, six days in contemplation, um, in reflection and in prayer and worship. That's amazing. And how did, sorry, this is kind of a side note, but how did COVID impact that? Was that a justifiable uh, reason to not travel or did you say oh, of course it did yeah. COVID impacted everything I mean uh, COVID Im- impacted every aspect of, of you know everyone's life whether yes. Muslim or not uh, the the Saudi authorities they had uh, last year what they did was um, uh, international travel anybody from abroad could not enter Saudi Arabia so they had only specifically chosen a couple of hundred people from Saudi Arabia uh, that were able to conduct and perform the Hajj normally you have 
two million people oh going for the Hajj. But last year, there were approximately, I think, 500 people. Um, and these 500 people, of course, they were those that uh, had to, of course, socially distance. So even until today, in Mecca, the largest mosque uh, is uh, in Mecca, where at one time, 1.5 million people can pray at one time. Um, so that mosque literally, um, right now, there are a couple of thousand people that can pray there. But uh, there is social, social distancing, distancing implemented. Um, even the, the there is a particular, uh, you could say, act that people perform when they are in Mecca uh, because the Kaaba is located there. The Kaaba is the house of God uh, that, as Muslims, we believe that it was built by Abraham. Okay. And we all face the Kaaba as a direction for prayer. So even if you're in Ireland, we'll all face Mecca because the Kaaba is there and people in Australia would face Mecca also. And we use that as a direction to pray. Now, that particular structure, the, the, the Kaaba itself, uh, Muslims go around the Kaaba uh, seven times and that act is known as the Tawaf. So even during the Tawaf, uh, we're pre and interestingly, during the Tawaf, there is no segregation between males and females. Um, Everybody is equal and everybody together performs the tawaf. Um, now, during COVID, even until now, uh, the tawaf also is conducted by people while they are socially distanced. Oh, wow. OK. Yes. It, I think it's fascinating the way it has impacted, you know, these very ancient sacred rituals that like probably have been done for thousands of years the same way and this is the thing that has had to change it I just find that fascinating yes, Islamics have al always had an impact on the Hajj in fact there is a book written by a scholar six seven hundred years ago about the, uh, the the Hajj during a pandemic so we have we obviously had a few pandemics in the last 1400 years and one uh, scholar wrote a particularly a book about the experience of the Hajj during the pandemic this book was written six seven hundred years ago um, also I think interesting uh, is that you cannot go you cannot obtain a visa to perform the pilgrimage unless you're vaccinated. So oh, that's wow. another requirement now. That's great. Yes. And how, so I have two questions. One, a side, of side note. So it's 2021 AD. So our mm -hmm. calendar, like the Western calendar is based on Christ. Yes. So how, what year is it or how do you guys uh, okay. Kate, keep track of time? Well, I would say as Muslims, we have the best of both worlds. Yes. <laughs> we obviously spend our practical life, uh, most of it uh, according to this calendar, the yeah. AD calendar. But also we have another calendar, which is the Hijri calendar. And the Hijri calendar, according to that calendar, it's currently 1442. Uh, uh, 1442 and that calendar is started after the migration of the Prophet Muhammad so the Prophet Muhammad was born in Mecca um, and at the age of 40 he he received the revelation the Quran and he once he uh, pr preached and propagated the message of Islam he, uh, he felt uh, a lot of people, they, they were against it in Mecca, particularly the wealthy people. The reason for that is because the message of Islam that the Prophet Muhammad was uh, propagating was a message of equality. Uh, was and what was in state, like what was in place before he had like these they rich used people? They to worship idols. Idol worshipping was okay. very common in, in Mecca. Uh, and the Prophet Muhammad would... Uh, in f tell them to worship one God and that everybody in the society is equal. equal in the sight of God. Now, the Meccan chiefs didn't like that. So he was persecuted. His followers were persecuted. Um, and 12 years later, 
he traveled and he actually seeked refuge in a city known as Medina, which is 500 kilometers away from Mecca. And he was a refugee himself. And in Medina, he was welcomed. Uh, so the Prophet Muhammad, the, the, the day that he arrived in Medina after the religi religious persecution, that day, or you could say that year, is the first year of Hijri. Okay. And is Medina also a sacred city? It is indeed. Uh, Mecca is the holiest city and then comes Medina and then comes Jerusalem in, in the Islamic perspective. Medina is where the Prophet Muhammad, as I said, migrated and he lived on. Uh, he established the first state, uh, the Muslim state of Medina, Islamic state of Medina. He uh, also, he died there and he is currently buried in Medina. And is, can, if you're not Muslim, can you go to Mecca or Medina? Um, you could go previously, okay. uh, but currently, uh, because of because of security and because of other reasons, they have decided not to allow people that aren't of the Muslim faith, okay. just to make sure that there is nothing there that happens that would create any kind of you know uh, difficulty the, and and chaos uh, in the society. Yeah, this is fascinating. Thank you. Um, and what else uh, do I want to ask? So. What else do you think is important for people I to know? I think people that actually want to know more about Mecca and Medina, there is a, there's a, there's a documentary on YouTube about the Hajj yeah. uh, done by the BBC, which really gives you a unique insight into the complete Hajj and into the cities of Mecca and Medina. Yeah, no, I ha I saw, I think it's in a couple of parts and I've seen the start of it and it is, yes. you can't really get the sense of what it's like for two million people to be doing the same pilgrimage until you see it. It yes, is phenomenal. True. And I think they're... Uh, devotion and commitment to it is really inspiring. So you were saying there that uh, no matter where you are in the world, Muslims will face, what was the, the word? The Kaaba. The Kaaba. Yes. How, so do you work that out through like, through a compass or how? Well, nowadays there is an app for that. You know, oh, there's an app amazing. for everything. <laughs> there's an app for everything. And, and even there is a Qibla finder uh, on, on, you know, the Android store or the Apple store. Um, and you could be anywhere in the world. And if you have a device uh, with the application, you could find out uh, which direction to face for the Qibla. And how many times a day do you pray? Muslims uh, pray five times a day. We are uh, we have to remember God uh, five times a day, and these the times are basically spread out throughout the day, uh, from from the mornings, the sunrise until late night, late evening. The reason for that is because it is a continuous reminder that you know we we have certain duties uh, towards God, but also towards the creation of God, and to give us also time to come out of our uh, you know daily very very busy lives um, that we hardly find time to meditate nowadays we hardly find time to to reflect and contemplate and these are the moments uh, for us to kind of reflect and contemplate uh, and five times a day um, and each prayer uh, has a different name uh, and nowadays there are timetables or there are applications that will tell you when the time starts of a prayer so you have once the time starts you have approximately one hour or so to perform the prayer at your own convenience and how long is the like does the prayer take uh, that really depends on every person individual i would say um, at least five minutes or so uh, but there are people that obviously want to use that time to meditate more reflect more worship more and some people would spend 15 minutes or it or 20 minutes i was in sharjah which is one of the yes. united arab emirates and it struck me that the the call to prayer was across the whole city which the first time you hear it is like awe-inspiring it's like oh everyone and then restaurant shops would just close yes people will just be like no and it was amazing to see people prioritizing this not 
because in the Western world it's so capitalist. You know, people are not going to put God before a sale. Yeah. If you're in the middle of buying something, it's like, well, I'm going to take this money. But yeah. people prioritizing, no, I'm going to close my shop, I'm going to pray, and then you know, there's time to reopen. It was to- a totally cultural difference that I found at the start really striking. And then actually really inspiring. Yes. Uh, you have that in certain Muslim countries like Saudi Arabia, Sharjah uh, uh, and Morocco. Uh, but there are also s- countries like Pakistan where you have the call to prayer. But still people, uh, yes, the life we'll will go on. on. People, yes. pe- the shops will remain open and people will pray at their own you know, convenience when, whenever it suits them. And uh, is that just different? Like Sharjah is, um, I'm going to use the word strict, but I know there's probably mm-hmm. a better word. Like they're, they're quite... Um, strict about these religious laws well they were when I was there it may have changed it's Mm -hmm. been a while there were you know police there to enforce religious religious law I think it's more about, uh, you know, the, the, the society. Some societies are a bit more strict than others. Yeah. Uh, as you know, Sharjah is one of the Emirates of the United Arab Emirates. And you have Dubai, which is literally uh, you know, 20, 20 minutes, minutes away. away. <laughs> yeah, where and you Dubai, fly into. Everything remains open. I mean, you have clubs and pubs and everything else that remains open. Uh, so it really it depends on, I think, um, the authorities there. And... You know the way p- some people who identify as Catholic, like yes, I, I yes. identify as Catholic. It's on my. I put it on the census. I don't go to mass every mm. week. I don't pray every. D- I'm actually kind of good for prayer, but, um, but it's not. You know, it's. I call myself Catholic. You know, I'm religious. Yes, yes, yes. Are there? Uh, I mean, there obviously are, but the five times a day. Is there wiggle room there? Are there some Muslims who are you know ver- identify very much as Muslim but just don't engage in that, or is it pretty consistent? Absolutely. You have Muslims that do not pray five times a day. They pray maybe once a week, maybe once a day, maybe twice a day. Uh, But I would say still many of the Muslim uh, members of the Muslim faith would strongly identify themselves with Islam, uh, but they still would at least pray uh, and attend the Friday prayer. Attending the Friday prayer is something that is still very much engraved in our communities um, and it's very strong. Um, it's pretty much like how Sunday Mass used to be in the 70s and the yes, 80s in okay. churches. You had literally many services and we have many services even today in the mosques uh, on the Friday because Friday is the day that we gather together as a community in the mosques uh, and pray together. Uh, so you still have, I mean, a lot of people that maybe uh, would not uh, pray every day, but they would still go, go to, to the Friday, Friday prayer. prayer. And if people are working, uh, a lot of people that I meet uh, in the Islamic Center are obviously working on a Friday. They take time out during the break just to come and attend the prayer. Um, and then there are also people that I have met that will only come once a year on the Eid prayers to the mosque. Okay. So there are all types of people, you know, Same like people who just go Christmas yes. mass. And uh, how many mosques are there in, in Dublin or in Ireland? Um, in Ireland, we have approximately 50 mosques. Now, when I say mosque, this could be uh, there are a few that are kind of purpose built. Uh, two of them, uh, one in Klonski, one in Ballyhonis, rural Ireland, County Mayo. Um, and then you have certain mosques that we have, for example, on the South Circular Road in Dublin. Uh, there was a Presbyterian church that was uh, that was bought in the 80s and converted into a mosque. Uh, we have like our Islamic Center of Ireland based in West Dublin is in an industrial unit. Uh, you have mosques that are in homes, in houses, oh, okay. and you have certain places of worship that are basically in hospitals, rooms, or in universities, rooms dedicated for the for for the worship for Muslims. Um, so uh, we we have about fifty of them in the whole Ireland, I would say, um, and uh, we have approximately hundred thousand Muslims uh, in Ireland. 
That's an, that's not a small number. No, it's it is it is, and I think it's it's obviously growing. Uh, the last number of years, um, we have seen a lot of uh, you know people from all over different different parts of the world uh, come to Ireland. When I came in two thousand and three, we had I'd say thirty thousand Muslims, um, and then. The, the census of nine, uh, 2016 uh, concluded that there were 75,000 approximately. Is that because of immigration or because people, Irish people are converting to Islam or both? Uh, it's because Ireland is a country of Cade Milafolge. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's great. No, it's, it's a country of 100,000 welcomes to the immigrants. I mean, in the sense that a lot of immigrants started coming after the Celtic Tigers boom uh, to Ireland. You know, previously... Yeah. Even when I moved to Ireland in 2003, I remember a conversation I had with my dad and I said to him, I'm, going to, I'm thinking of going and relocating to Ireland and he mentioned the IRA and he was concerned. Oh. You know, he said like, are you sure? Aren't yeah. there where the bombing takes place? Uh, so a lot of people... That's still really, like I work in Los Angeles mm-hmm. sometimes and I say that I'm Irish and people are like, oh my God, the IRA. Exactly, and exactly. I'm like, literally haven't, like I'm, t- I'm 33 and I haven't, like it, thank you, God you for the peace process. It. But Oh, ab- absolutely. Yeah. Uh, thank God for the Good Friday Agreement, the peace process. And hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll continue that uh, tradition of, uh, of you know, uh, peace uh, and, and reconciliation. Um, now, having said that, as I said, uh, when I mentioned that to my dad, he was very concerned, worried, uh, and a lot of people, immigrants, they didn't know or when they they knew about Ireland, but they thought it's not that's not where I want to go with mm-hmm. my family. Uh, but later on, people realized, well, you know, we have a, there, there is Some a peace process, and this is not the same Ireland, or this is not the same. You know, the, the conflict is not the same as it used to be. So what happened is a lot of uh, immigrants then started coming to Ireland in the f- early 2000 and later on. So I think it's the immigration, it's uh, the fact that a lot of people are looking for a better home, uh, a better life for their families. Like a lot of Irish people during the famine, after the went famine, to America, they went England. to America, they went to England, they went Absolutely. to Australia, um, and. Uh, a lot of people, you know, do not realize that people don't really, you know, um, it's it's not something people really um, do it out of happiness. They don't. People do it really as a last resort. People don't want, didn't want to leave um, their homes in Ireland mm-hmm. during the famine, but they had no choice. Uh, and this is the same in, uh, you know, most migrants. People that come from different parts of the world, they come here for a better life. And sometimes, you know, it's obviously not something that they uh, that they want to do, but they have to do. Mm-hmm. And I'll finish on this because I'm interested in the structure of it. So in the ceremonies that I have gone through as a Catholic, baptism when I was born, then communion, and then like around puberty, we have confirmation and then Mm -hmm. marriage and whatever. Now, I didn't do marriage through the church, but that's for another podcast. Um, Do you have similar sort of, uh, I guess, like, not landmarks what are they called like milestones that you reach well you know we don't have uh, those kind of milestones where you where where for example institutions are important significant or individuals are important in fact when a child is born yes the azan the call to prayer is said but that azan can be said by the dad by the father of the child it doesn't have to be the imam or the sheikh we have yes we have a naming ceremony on the seventh day uh, but that doesn't doesn't need to happen in the Islamic center it can happen anywhere Um, so even marriages uh, in our religion do not have to be in the mosque or by the sheikh um, anyone can conduct marriages, provided they know that the marriage has to have the, the, the basic conditions, you know, offer an acceptance and uh, there needs to be a dowry, a mahar, um, and there needs to be witnesses of the marriage. It's so simple. So in Islam, we do have these kind of milestones, but they are very, you could say they're much easier, much more flexible, and they're not so as much as like a lot of people accept Islam, you know, 
when they're in the 20s and the 30s and 40s. Okay. They've never had somebody to say azan in their, uh, you know, when they were in, born. in their air when they were born. So these milestones does not do not mean that if you didn't have any of these rituals that you're not a good Muslim or you're not really a Muslim. It doesn't mean anything like that. In fact, these are just uh, celebrations. Uh, but a person once as, as as soon as somebody believes uh, in God and the prophets and a person becomes, uh, you know, pr- tries to live as a good human being, a person is a Muslim straight away. Doesn't need to have any confirmation from an imam or a sheikh. Thank you so much. I could talk to you all day. Um, your knowledge, not just of Islam, but uh, of you're fascinating. Thanks, um, <laughs> You're very welcome. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for joining me on this week's episode of Basically. I could have talked to Dr. Omar for hours. I think I'll definitely have to get him back. If you have any follow-up questions, I will. Uh, I'll gather them together. Maybe we'll get him back because I could have talked to him for so long. Um, we are. You can contact me at basically at headstuff.org. Our graphic design is by Kahlo Gara. Our music is by Only Ruin. And we are part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Thanks for listening. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.